Thank you, Sharon. Uh, why don't we bow our heads to pray as we start. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Transform us, Lord, by your spirit. Empower us to devote ourselves to you, to your word, to fellowship with one another, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Amen. It's great to be partnering together again with Emmanuel Church uh, once more for this five-part series, Unrestricted Church. What does it mean to be church as we emerge from lockdown? Uh, so today, um, why not just have online services? That's the question. After a year of streaming our services online, uh, on YouTube and, and meeting on Zoom, uh, you'll probably find yourself wondering... Uh, if we actually need to start physically meeting together, maybe if you're not here, but if you're at home, that certainly could be a question on your mind. If it should be a priority for us or just uh, an occasional luxury. Uh, many industries are now looking to, to uh, trim off all but essential physical meetings. And it's not hard to see why, is it? Uh, there's a the time it takes to get to the meeting and get back from it. Uh, there's the cost of travel, of hiring a venue, of buying a meal or drinks. There's the danger of running late. There's the, the wasted time as a meeting unnecessarily runs on and you, you find it hard to wind up. And then there's also the risks in there, the risks of contracting COVID in this season. So as we look at our church gathering, it's only natural that we might bring some of these same questions to it. There's a time it takes to travel to church in the morning. If you drive to Christchurch, there's the hassle of finding parking around our streets. There's again the risk of, of walking in late when a service is in full flow. Uh, sometimes the church service can run on, especially when the preacher won't stop talking, or, or where you get stuck in a conversation afterwards that you just can't leave. Again, there's the risks and fears around COVID, and all of these are only exasperated uh, when you add young children or even teenagers to that mix. Also, isn't it just easier to just uh, watch the service at home, on your TV, on your sofa, wearing your pajamas. So on balance, why don't we just have online services? If you're sitting here in church today, uh, take a moment to wonder why you didn't stay at home this morning. And if you are uh, not joining us in church, if you're watching at home, uh, take a moment to wonder uh, why you've not joined us in person. I just want to add a caveat at this point. Um, I recognize that we are still in the early days of coming out of lockdown. Some people remain at home for some time to come, and for any number of reasons, for a, a fear of transmission, and that's likely to be high up on your list of not joining us at the moment. As a church, we need to love one another and care for each other with grace as we, we each move at different speeds through this. If you're watching from home today uh, because you're afraid or housebound or sick, then you need to hear that we love you, we miss you, we wish you could be here with us, but we recognize that there are reasons preventing you from coming. Even before the pandemic, uh, there were those of us who, who couldn't join together each week for these kinds of reasons, and there's no judgment there for that. Uh, but if you've decided not to come to church, because actually you quite enjoy watching on your sofa, or after a year of lockdown, you don't see the point in actually meeting together then my prayer is that God might use this series and this sermon today to help you to see the necessity of meeting together as brothers and sisters and perhaps to alert you to the complacency 
that may be forming in your own discipleship and heart. Brothers and sisters, today, God is saying to us through his word, devote yourselves to God's word, fellowship with one another, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Devote yourselves to God's word, to fellowship with one another, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. In the short time I have left, I'm going to unpack what this means for us by looking together at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and applying that to our lives now post-lockdown. Let me give a little context for our reading. Uh, The first thing to say is our reading starts with the word they in chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, And so a reasonable question is, who is the they? Uh, We're still on the day of Pentecost at this point in the reading. Uh, And at at that time, the faithful believers numbered around about 120 people, uh, according to chapter 1, verse 15. That was the size of the church on the morning of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had come upon these believers like a whirlwind and entered into them, using them to erupt in a cacophony of languages, declaring the wonders of God, chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, A note here that this is likely to be different to the gift of speaking in tongues that Paul speaks about elsewhere in the New Testament. Utterly amazed, those who were standing around witnessing this asked, what does this mean? Uh, To which Peter stands up and gives his first sermon, striking sermon, uh, warning them of the dangers of not believing in Jesus and pleading with them to repent and to turn to Christ. Now, if you have a physical Bible open in front of you and if you glance your eyes up one line to verse 41, you read this. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow! I mean, that's some spirit-empowered preaching, isn't it? That's evangelistic preaching. That's the power of the gospel. The good news that repentance brings forgiveness of sins to those who trust in the Lord Jesus. So verse 42 is giving us a little window into what these first 3,000 or so believers were doing. And that's important to us. When we talk about what the, the church is and what the church does... We have to remember that we are talking about things that affect a particular group of people. Believers, Christians, sheep, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. We're going to be hearing more about that next week from, from Bart. And now, of course, there'll be times when there'll be people gathered with us uh, who wouldn't yet declare that Jesus is Lord, and that's fine. If this describes you, uh, I want you to know that you are welcome to be here amongst us. And we believe there is no better place in the world for you than being here amongst God's people this morning. There's always some level of mixed economy in a local church. But we need to be clear also that what we are being prescribed, what Jesus commands, is not primarily for those who don't believe, although it would be very good medicine for them, but for those who trust Jesus. Those who have God's spirit living within them to help them to be obedient to his commands. Otherwise, it's just legalism. So when we think of these first spirit-indwelt Christians, these early believers, what were their priorities? Devotion. You know what it means to be devoted, don't you? It means to to busy yourself with something, to, to give yourself to something, to place the pursuit of something over everything else. So if you like a sports team, I'm not a sports person, but if you like a sports team and you're devoted to that team and it's on the TV um, and your spouse says to you that dinner's ready 
Uh, you choose instead to continue to watch your sports team because that's your priority. You're devoted to them. I know none of us would do that here, but that's an example you might use. And actually, the sense of the word here in the Greek is to continually devote yourself to this thing. So it's not something that Christians give their energy to every once in a while, like just on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week, across their lives, continually devote yourselves to these things. What are these early Christians to continually devote themselves to? Three things. The apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And now we can think of these as, as separate marks of the Christian life. But these are also marks of what, a ch- of what a church does when Christians gather together. The spirit-indwelt Christian and the spirit-empowered church devote themselves to God's word, fellowship with one another, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. So let's look at these briefly in turn. Firstly, they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now remember, at this stage, uh, the apostles were 12 men set apart as the leaders of this new Jesus movement by the Spirit. When they woke up that first Pentecost morning, they had about 120 disciples. That's an easy 10 disciples per apostle. But by that evening, they had 3,000. That's about 250 people each. And remember, too, that there were no New Testament letters. There was no Gospels written. That the, the Old Testament, the Tanakh, would have been memorized or, or kept in the, in the synagogue or temple. So the apostles' teaching was just that, the verbal teaching of these 12 disciples. Teaching them the Old Testament, teaching them Jesus' sayings, which they'd listened to, teaching them the Sermon on the Mount. And these new Christians were continually devoted to seeking out these apostles and listening to them. I mean, how tiring would that be? Now, we no longer have the apostles with us today to instruct us directly. But we have what they have handed down to us in God's word, our Bibles. How fortunate are we to have audio Bibles to listen to, to have thousands of podcasts and faithful sermons on tap to faithfully continue to apply the apostles' teaching to us, to have centuries of Christian music that reminds us of these key truths, to have our foundational texts like creeds, And this is the reason why God's word is so central to all that we do here at Christ Church and Emmanuel Church. We hear God's word read aloud. We give time to hearing that same word applied. Our songs are chosen to be in agreement with it. Our prayers are informed by it. The whole of our services are shaped by God's word. We are devoted to it. And God's spirit is constantly applying his word to the hearts of his people. Christians are often called people of the book, and we shouldn't be ashamed of that. That's a, that's a, that's a, a prized thing. So brothers and sisters, devote yourselves to God's word. Okay, now arguably, this is something you can do at home, and you can do online, right? You can watch a service online, and, and there's still much the same impact as being here. You can mute me if you want to. You can study the Bible online too. Throughout lockdown, I've been meeting with some brothers from this church to to study God's word together over the last year. But for the early church, this wasn't a private practice. It wasn't something they, they only did in small groups, although they did do that. But verse 46, every day they continually met together in the temple courts. 
These huge courtyards of the temple had plenty of space for these 3,000 or so believers to, to meet as a whole gathering, as a church. And we begin to see more and more of this communal focus in the second mark of the early church. So a spirit-empowered church devotes herself to God's word. And these new Christians continually devoted themselves to fellowship with one another. I don't know what you think of when I say the word fellowship, uh, maybe a, a book or a movie about hobbits and dwarves. But fellowship in view here is always costly. It means sharing of yourself and your possessions. The same kind of word is used again in verse 44, where it says that they had everything in common. That word common and the word fellowship have the same kind of root meaning. They shared in their experiences. They shared in their lives. They shared in their homes. They shared in their possessions. This is true Christian fellowship. Not a, a quick hello at the church door, but, but a giving of yourself to share in the lives of your brothers and sisters in church. A fellowship we share because of our fellowship with God. You'll remember, won't you, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, where he writes this. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who gave up everything to bring us into relationship with himself, the ultimate example of costly fellowship. And we are united with each other in costly fellowship because we are united in him. Brothers and sisters, devote yourselves to fellowship with one another. And this gets harder to achieve online, doesn't it? I mean, sure, we can have a phone call and we can have a Zoom call after church. But when we gather in church, we are saying it's important for us to be physically among one another. And that can be costly. If you have to, to get up early, you have to look presentable to come to church, don't you? If you come to church with children without a spouse, you know the cost of that. As on your own, you have to look after your children as they kick off and as your baby starts to scream or try to scoop them all up to take them home afterwards. Those of you who have come to our building uh, with children over the last year have experienced the cost of this kind of fellowship. As your children restlessly roll around on the church floor getting bored or screaming. Mine have, I've seen it on the camera. For you, there has been a cost in our fellowship together over the last 12 months. And we want to honor you for that fellowship that you have sacrificially endured to have fellowship with us. It's a beautiful thing to see the children here over the lockdown. A spirit-empowered church devotes herself to costly fellowship instead of easy discipleship. Brothers and sisters, continually devote yourselves to God's word, to fellowship with one another, and thirdly, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Now, these two things, the breaking of bread and prayer, can be joined together as what we might call worship. I take the, the breaking of bread here to be referring specifically to the Lord's Supper, rather than just generally eating together, because, verse 46, Luke, the author of this, this text, separates the two by saying they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. Two things are in view here. A breaking bread has a particular meaning, especially when it's surrounded by these spiritually loaded terms like fellowship and prayer. This is more than just a regular meal. This is one of the things we, we can't be a part of in our online services. 
Where Holy Communion appears in the Bible, it is always in the context of a group of people gathered together physically. At first it was the disciples and Jesus, but then it became a mark of the whole church community. And communion is not something we can ignore. We co- we're commanded to do it. It's indispensable to the life of the church. Okay, so you might be wondering, Anil, why can't we just you know, put a, a cup of wine and some bit of bread in front of the TV and join with the minister as he blesses the elements from the screen? Now, there are lots of answers that I could give in response to that. But the most simple thing to say is that we are not actually in communion with the rest of our church when we are at home. You may have a family around you, and you may invite your small group to join you, keeping to the rule of six, of course. But there will, be, there will be others in our church family at home who, for them, the reality of their isolation will be even more obvious as they watch. Part of the richness of communion is our oneness. As we share the same loaf of bread and the same cup of wine, Something we can't do as a church family if we are not together in the same place. Also, Holy Communion is always approached with a posture of repentance and reconciliation. And again, it's quite hard to be reconciled with someone and to share in the same bread and same cup if you are not together in the same room with them. Now, you may not be in agreement with me on this, and that's fine. So I just want to leave you with a final thought uh, on Communion. In the Anglican Church, which we're a part of, we understand Holy Communion and baptism to be similar, of a similar spiritual significance. They are both sacraments. That means they're things that Jesus has commanded us to continue to do. Now, do you think if a parent sat at home with their child in front of the TV and splashed water on that child's head as I said the words of baptism service on the screen, that that child would be participating in the same kind of public church family baptism that you yourself may have enjoyed? Of course not. There are some things that can only be done together. And like we've seen in our passage, that is the way God has organized his church to be a body of his people who meet together physically. Uh, For those of us who can't meet right now because of uh, illnesses or fear, um, we love you and we want you to hear that we can't wait for you to join us together when you can. If opportunities to meet for home communion are needed for those who are sick, do contact the church office. Uh, we'd love to visit people in their homes who are housebound to share that with you. Now, do you see what happens when the church does gather in this way physically? I look down at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. God's plan A for saving people is through his church, and a church is a gathering of his people. Yes, at the moment, things in church aren't what we're used to. We still can't sing together. We still can't hug one another. We have to wear masks. We have to keep that distance. When we have communion, it feels different, and there are so many other things. But rather than allowing these things to to put us off meeting together, Let me encourage you to take your discomfort to the Lord. Imagine Jesus before his incarnation looking down on Nazareth and saying, you know what, I'd rather stay up here far more than be uncomfortable down there in that dust trap. 
Jesus was born into our world to live among us, to rub shoulders with us, delighting in sacrificial, uncomfortable fellowship with the creatures he had made, all of us. All to bring us into fellowship with his Father by his Spirit. Don't look at this small local expression of God's universal church as a thing that defines what worship really is. But instead, delight in what we can do. And allow this discomfort to lift our eyes beyond ourselves to that great gathering of God's church where one day every tribe, nation and tongue will gather around the throne of the Lamb, giving praise to him. With no COVID, no face masks, no social distancing. Just pure worship in the new heavens and the new earth. In the meantime, brothers and sisters, devote yourselves to God's word, to fellowship one another, and to the breaking of bread. And bow your heads to pray. Father God, we thank you that your plan for salvation is through your church, that your church is brothers and sisters around the world, gathered spiritually and enjoined spiritually with each other by your spirit, but also gathered locally in this place and other churches. Father God, for those who can't meet with us now for, for fear, for, for illness, for other reasons, we pray your grace and blessing upon them, that they won't feel like second-rate Christians, that they won't feel excluded from what we're doing here, that those who can gather will reach out sacrificially and share in fellowship with them through meeting for coffees, through, through going for walks, through visiting in their home when they can. Lord, help us not to become complacent in our worship. Help us not to take the easy discipleship, but constantly to, to carry our cross and follow you. And Lord, forgive us when we get this wrong. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your son. And by your spirit, empower us to live for you. Amen.